so I, I'm believing that he's still here and that as we just look at his word together that the same process happens so there's not like oh that was the really spiritual bit and now this is a, the whole thing is about his presence and about encountering him um, and, and I've had this silly phrase in my head but actually there are there are presents in his presence and sometimes our thinking is it's just so oh, he showed up that's so good but you need, God never shows up empty-handed do you know what I mean? Like sometimes we, oh, he's here. That, that, I mean, it's like, and, and his presence is enough. Don't don't get me wrong, but he never comes without bringing stuff that you need because that's the kind of good dad that he is. So I don't know what you need this morning. And it was a fantastic testimony uh, to start the morning. But I just believe that if you're sick, you're going to be healed. Why not? I mean, that's a process of thought change, isn't it? Sort of why why could it be? Well, why wouldn't it be? If our Heavenly Father is here who made the heavens and the earth, why wouldn't you get well? Just, why, why shouldn't be be well? Even the indications can be like, I'm not well, but you're well. I've been through some medical stuff like that, and I have indicators in my body that are saying, I should have something wrong with me, but they keep scanning me and doing things to me, and they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I said, I know there's nothing wrong with me, but you have these indicators that are telling us that there's something wrong with you, but there's nothing wrong with me. Why? It's because I'm just living in him, and he's living in me. So give me all the indicators you like, I'm well. Now, I'm praying for the indicators to go away as well. Don't, you know, if you can keep it, but, but I thought that testimony is so good. Often we prayed for people, and nothing, quote, has happened. But actually, a lot has happened, and it's only in a day. Or, but sometimes you can kind of cut your faith off because you, know, you didn't get the wobbles. Or when someone prayed for you, nothing, quote, happened. So you assume that nothing did happen. That's not a wise assumption. You, you could leave being prayed for and be completely healed of cancer and actually have felt nothing happen in the moment, but then days later. So don't, don't kind of strangle your faith off just because when Phil declared and released what he did and we worship, actually nothing actually changed in the moment. Something did change in the moment. It's just going to be maybe tomorrow that you find out or when you walk out of here or when you actually check it out, whatever is going on. I'm so excited about healings breaking out everywhere. I'm hearing stories like healings breaking out in churches that don't believe in healings. And, and, he, and then someone tells the story, or, or healing's breaking out in places that do believe in it but never seen it, like, or, or have really struggled, or the church has had a really bad time, or, and then God just does something. As friends of ours, it was at shoulders, interestingly, someone's shoulder got healed, and, been, and then they told the story and someone else's shoulder got healed, and then they told the story and someone else's shoulder got healed. All of it like amazing shoulder healings. And, and, and it's just lifted faith in their whole environment. All kinds of other things have started to happen. Isn't that exciting? Um, so that, that's not what I wanted to talk about today, but it's always a good place to start. And I, I want to talk to you what really this whole summer uh, God has been speaking to me about. And I need to go back further than this summer to probably 1987 or 88. But don't worry, we don't need to cover every year from now till then in the message. <laughs> um, 
But somewhere back, back then, and I was in. A, I remember being in, having an encounter with God in the back of a leaders' meeting. And I probably need to go back even further to just after I got saved. God spoke to me. I was walking in my like student room. Look out what can happen in your student digs. And clear as anything, he said, I've called you to be like Abraham. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I had lots of encounters with God about being like Abraham for seeing stars and all this kind of thing going on. And I guess the two things that registered with me was obviously was faith and patience in that faith, but also that he was a father. And, and when God spoke this to me, I was probably like 18. Um, and then I'm in, I'm in this meeting now years later, probably 30, 31 years old, and things are happening in this meeting, and my heart is breaking, and I'm absolutely weeping in a, a hard chair like this on my knees with this desire to be a spiritual father and knowing that the atmosphere I was in was somehow violating that. I didn't have the words we now have. I didn't understand what we now know about the Father heart of God, but I can remember weeping and weeping and weeping and going to the guy that was a good spiritual father to me at that time and just expressing this heart because I saw some of this in him and uh, as I was preparing this this morning I just felt God speak to me he said yeah and however many years do the math from 87 to now has been sorting it out so you can be that Uh, it's not it's not it's really easy to become a biological father but actually to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother requires uh, that's going to create a healthy environment requires quite a lot to go on in terms of getting your own heart in the right place because I've been in many environments of spiritual fathers that actually have produced a real mixture of health and 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 something that's quite difficult but it doesn't violate the principle so I want to I want to talk to you about it's really a word about spiritual fathers and mothers and covenant and you'll see why they fit together as, as we go so this summer has been a continuous flow of people in different ways coming up to us me and Teresa going uh, we, we just you just so affect our lives you're just such a spiritual mom and dad would you help us would you input us like and, and, and as if just to confirm this, this is what I'm supposed to speak on this morning I get a a, a, a message a Facebook on Facebook messenger from a, a spiritual son who I haven't seen or talked to for 13 years and he says you're one of the most trusted leaders I've ever had in my life I'm in a really difficult situation I live in New Zealand I need to talk to you I thought <laughs> talk about this is the message <laughs> and, and this week we, we had we had lunch with some great church leader friends of ours and 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 Teresa and I are sitting there, and, and the husband was sitting next to Teresa, the wife was sitting next to me, and I could feel there was something going on in her. And I could feel this, God started to speak to me and, and give me words for her. And as I gave words to her, she starts to weep into my shoulder. And I know I'm just carrying this. She needed a spiritual dad in her life, and she was a leader, in a you know, significant leader. And... Uh, we, we went to, some of you know Julian Katia Adams, Julian, amazing prophet of God who's served us well here. And their, their leaving do was back in, 
in June down in Bedford and we went, because they were leaving, going back to South Africa where Julian's from, and, and we went to their leaving do. And, and it was the most wonderful and slightly bizarre experience. We literally, we had a terrible row in the car on the way down. So we're, we're, we're kind of taking lumps out of one another. And actually, we don't do that as often as we used to, but it still happens in our life. And, 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 and then we're getting closer because we're going to this farewell do and uh, f- with a room full of prophets, basically. And Teresa's like... <laughs> They go to no. We've had a row. They go, they're just everybody's going to see straight through our smiles, and they're just going to know that we're not in a greatest place. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how this works. You, if we row for a long time and never repent and put it right, then God's going to give someone a word of knowledge. But look, just because we've had one, we're not walking in with all our dirty washing on exposure. He's going to cover us. It's going to be okay. And I was right about that point in the argument. <laughs> so we went to this evening. We had a lovely time. We had people bouncing up to us saying, there's this one, again, a senior leader in an environment who came up to us, this lady. She said, you're just such spiritual mom and dad to me. I really need to talk to you. I'm going through this. I'm like, you barely talk to this person. And so we had a Skype call again a couple of weeks ago. Um, someone else came up to us and said, just the, the, the atmosphere in the room changed because you came there. We weren't particularly doing anything. And then, then we had breakfast the next day in the place we were staying in a, and a, a leader came to see us who we'd met uh, in Ireland and is now living in England. And uh, someone we'd just tweaked with and he just wanted to come and see us. We were having breakfast and he starts to, he starts to tell us how much we carry, how the atmosphere in the room changed because we show up, how, how we carry freedom, how much we'd affected his life. And this is all pouring out of him. And then he just bursts into tears and starts hugging into my shoulder. And I'm like, I just thought I was having breakfast. Um, <laughs> uh, we went to European Leaders Advance. And people keep saying, we need to talk to you. One of this this uh, leader of a church down in south of England is like, we just need spiritual parents. We need what you carry. You'd be like, okay. So, and this is repeated over and over through right up to this morning. These kind of encounters with, with people. And I just believe it's true what the Bible says, what Paul says. It says that actually people have many teachers or many guardians, but there are not many fathers. Uh, there really aren't. And so when people spot one, they spot a spiritual mom and dad, they're like, oh, I want some of that. Yeah. I want some, I need some, I want that. And, uh, but actually, when you're on the receiving end of that, it actually starts to become a little bit overwhelming because it's like there's still only one of us. <laughs> or, well, two, you know. Um, and there's only 24 hours in a day, and, you know, we like to sleep and have fun. And, um, <laughs> and also, also... This is kind of stretching to the nations now. So I'm having Skype calls with people in Holland and just the same thing. Oh, you've been such a good spiritual dad to us. It's been and it's like, yeah, but we have a passion for changing Glasgow. We have a passion for changing the nation. We have a passion for God's spoken to us about creating this, this resource base here in Glasgow that just, just carries his presence and sees signs and wonders and changes, changes the city through an invasion of the kingdom and, and, and through serving and on and on. I'm like, huh? 
And yes, I'm called to the nations. And yes, I'm called to signs and wonders. And, and yes, I'm called to Father. And yes, there's only one of me. How many directions can I go in at one time? Um, and yet all of this is in us. And as we've, actually as a leadership team, we've been doing something called strategic planning, uh, which is very grand, isn't it? And we've kind of spent two whole Saturdays before the summer working on stuff. And when we start to flesh out the prophetic and the burden and the desire uh, that, that really heaven has downloaded on us as a church, it's huge. <laughs> it's absolutely humongous what God said to us to be and do. And then you get people like our friend like Danny Silk comes through and says to me, and Teresa, you created such an atmosphere of freedom. You're aiming too low. Think how you could spread this to the whole of Europe. And we're like, the whole of Europe? My goodness. Yeah, how do we? So all these kind of, you're living with this. Because you don't hang around Heavenly Father for long and have a small perspective. His heart has always been for the nations. And, and, and this isn't in the notes, but actually he said to us, disciple nations. Which means in his opinion, we have the ability to do that. Our target is often too small. But in the everyday of life, you're going around and people say, oh, you could actually see how we could start to affect Europe because we start to father and mother different people in leaders in different places and bring freedom and then they reproduce that. So our involvement with the Paris church means that that church is now growing. They're seeing healings happen and the presence of God is there. That, that's fathering, mothering, and that, that in the city of Paris is really, really unusual. Yeah. If you have any idea of the culture of, 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 of France. So it's possible that, wow, we could change the world. Yeah. I was born to change the world. Yeah. But I also want to sleep. <laughs> Will you... There's something in all of us. When you say, I love saying that. I was born to change the world. Because any inside every one of you, there's something that goes, yeah, me too, me too, me too. Maybe a little squeak, but it needs to become a big roar. Because the squeak is because unbelief, has, disappointment has come down. But listen, all of that can just get blown away when you just connect to Heavenly Father. His love invades you. He's like, yeah, I'm here to change the world. Can we say that together? As, as strong and as loud as you feel you can. I'm here to change the world after three Three. <laughs> Love it. All right. All right. So I'm I'm going through the summer. I'm thinking I need I need help. How how do how, there's these pools that, and many of them healthy, many of them good. Uh, how do how do we how do we do this, God? What what are you saying? And then through the summer, um, get exposed to Chris Vallotton more than I have been before. So, so he spoke at the European Leaders Advance, a bunch, 2,000 people there. But then I, we, he came up here to do clan, and we got invited to a small breakfast with about four or five leaders, which meant we got a, a little bit more connection. And, and, and hearing his story uh, some, and some other stories, so he was... Uh, you all know about Bethel Church. We're, we're big friends with many of the people there, and, uh, and we love them a lot, and they've helped us a lot. And, but Bethel is a really tiny town. Reading is about 90,000 people. But a lot of these guys, like Bill Johnson and, and Chris Vallott, and actually started in an even a tinier town <laughs> in the hills of 3,000 people, where lots of people who, who have got wrecked by life 
go to escape. And, and Chris actually was one of those. He, he had some, uh, a, a lot of sort of mental health issues, really. But he started a business and, and, and got involved with the church there and grew healthy. And then later on, Bill Johnson went to Reading and the church started to flourish. And he rings Chris up, who's still in Weaverville. Just says it all, really. Um, <laughs> that, Chris, would you come and start a supernatural school for us? But I don't have any money. So Chris, who's now successfully running eight businesses, sells them all, buys a flat or rents a flat in Reading and goes on the promise of no money to start a supernatural school. And they needed, I don't know, 36 people to pay. You know, there was a salary in it if they could get enough students. And like a day before the deadline, the students were like only half what they needed and then it doubled and phew. But, but this man, in response to the spiritual father who was, his spiritual dad who was Chris, who was Bill, Bill, <laughs> any of those names, but was Bill, Bill Johnson, was willing to do something to promote Bill's vision that actually cost him a lot to go do. It was a massive risk for Chris and a modest risk for Bill. But he went and did it, and then the rest is history. That, I don't know how many students there are now, 2,000 students, something like that, in BSSM. It's incredible. It's, it, it's, it's definitely affecting the planet. But it was because someone was willing to hear a spiritual father and go serve that father's vision, regardless of how inconvenient it may appear to them at that moment. Uh, and now what's happening, and you hear Chris's story, is he feels called to influence the political realm and actually what's happening is Bill is getting behind him to do that and, and I, I know our story that I don't know it's, it's probably not public knowledge but there is a story where actually a door swings open for Bill in the political realm and says oh this is you need you need my friend Chris here so he's actually making the space for that to happen some of you know Paul Manwaring so Paul's been here a couple of years ago increasingly becoming a friend of mine. Uh, he's a Brit. He's been in Bethel in Reading for oh, quite a few years now, early 2000s, just, just after 9-11 he, got, he arrived. So his story is, is really interesting. So he arrives, no agenda other than uh, it's the place his wife wants to go to church. Um, and he does the school. And he he's puts this phrase, I put my bags at Bill's door. So Bill is the spiritual father of this house, and he put his stickers on it and sent me away. Basically what happened is they asked Paul to run this thing called Global Legacy. So again, they had a vision for this relational apostolic network, and Paul says, I'll run it for you. Then sometime later, some prophetic words come over Paul about his call to be an evangelist, which actually goes back probably 20, 25 years in his life, and it was like a buried call that he knew was there but had never known what to do with. Or, and, and so they, they hear this, so Bill and the other guys get behind this and they send him to Reinhard Bonk, Bonke's school. Only 100 people on the planet were allowed to go to this school. They sent, sent him this summer. I'm, get, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting uh, messages from, from, uh, from, from him, and he's like, Paul... 
I'm about to speak to 25,000 people in Nuremberg. He's coming into his dream, having served another man's dream. Chris Vallotton, he's talking to world leaders. He's he's literally talking to nation leaders. Things you can't tell because it would violate. He's coming into his He's coming into his calling because he served another man's calling. And I, I want you to turn with me to the Bible and ch- Ruth chapter 1. And I want to look at it. We're going to use, we're going to use a spiritual mother to, just to, to look at what the Scripture has to say about this. Um, so it's Ruth chapter 1. And ooh, time is always a challenge with this. Ruth chapter 1 is really good. I think we should read this or some of it together. So we are on chapter 1 verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. And he and his wife... And two sons, <clears throat> the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of the two sons of Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moab out by wives. The name of one was Orpha and the other one was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Marlon and Chilion died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Pretty tough, eh? Yeah. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of, uh, return from the country of Moab, because she'd heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went in, on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, "Go, return each of you to your mother's house." May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find re- may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, lifted up their voices, and they, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return t- t- with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Which was the, the tradition in those days. Uh, turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should <coughs> say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and would be- bear sons, <laughs> would, you therefore, would you wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain, refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me and for your sake that the, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after, after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, 
also, if anything but death parts me from you. My goodness. Remember, this is, they're not getting married. And then Naomi saw that this was, she was determined to go with her, and she said, no more. And they returned to Bethlehem. And what happens, because we haven't got time to read it, but I'd recommend you read it. It's a really little book in the Bible, but I'll explain why it's important in a moment. But what happens is, the mother-in-law, Ruth goes to find food, because the, the rule was, to feed the poor, you didn't, you didn't harvest the whole field. You always left stuff around the edge for the poor to gather. So she went to glean in a field. And it just happened to be a field of a slightly distant relative called Boaz. Long story short, Boaz redeems her. He marries her. And they... So this is a Moabites who they weren't supposed to marry. But he marries her. And she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. Now, why am I saying it? Why is the book of Ruth even in the Bible? The book of Ruth is in the Bible because if you didn't have Ruth, you wouldn't have David. And if you don't have David, you wouldn't have Jesus. Talk about having an important legacy. And and so you can't take Ruth out of the Bible because it's an important piece of the story of how we ended up right here. Thank God for Ruth and what she did with Naomi. Can you see the point here? Because because she carried, they had children, which then carried this on and and so on and so forth. Uh, And you could say, well, if she hadn't done it, God would have found another way. But the point is, she did do it. And this is the way God did it. It was through this, this woman expressing this heart of covenant for a spiritual mother in her life. And what happens is, basically, this heart that she expresses means that the legacy of that family, which would have disappeared, it's the inheritance. So it's a really strong value in the Old Covenant. Everybody, every family had a piece of land that was allocated them in the Promised Land. And one of the reasons there's so many genealogies in the Bible is they were very precise at keeping track of who was in the people of God and very precise in tracking it so that they knew that, oh, this bit of land belongs to these guys. Do do, do you see what I mean? So it was very important you knew who you were son or daughter of because that connected you directly to your inheritance. And when you have a thing like this happen where the inheritance passes through the sons and both her husband and both her sons die, she is bereft. But because this man Boaz redeemed this woman Ruth, it reestablished the family line, both in terms of progeny but also the actual physical inheritance. So Ruth's heart of covenant actually recovered legacy for that whole family line. And actually, it improved the situation. Like, something that was actually lost got recovered. And what's more remarkable is when Ruth did this, she didn't know any of this would happen. She wasn't reading the Bible. She was writing the Bible. She wasn't knowing anything. She was just following a woman a woman who is, by her own confession, saying, I'm like a dried-up twig. She's saying, I, 
I came to this land of Moab full, and I'm now leaving it empty. I came with two sons and a husband. I, I am bereft. I have nothing to offer you, my daughters. Go back to your own people. But Ruth says, no, you don't have anything to offer me, but I want your God to be my God. And I want your people to be my people. I see, no, you don't have any material advantage of being with you. Following you is not going to give me any kind of leg up in life. I don't see, there's no, there's, I've never been where we're going back to. I don't know, there's nothing on offer. She's saying, I have nothing to offer you. I have no sons. I have no resources. I am giving you no benefits. I'm giving you no guarantee of your destiny. I'm giving you no guarantee of a bright future. Go back and be with your own people where you can flourish. And Naomi says, no, I'm going with you because I want your God to be my God and your people to be my people. Isn't that amazing? There's no material advantage, no political advantage, no hope, apparently, is offered by this woman, Naomi. She's actually, her own, what comes out of her own lips, lips at the end of the chapter is, I am empty. That takes something to follow someone who's that broke. But see something in their relationship with God that you want. And that action recovered the whole inheritance and legacy as well as created this incredible future in which David is born in this family line, and then ultimately Jesus. So if you follow, follow Jesus' um, lineage, if you follow it in Matthew 1, you'll see that mostly the men are mentioned, son of, son of, son of. But every now and again, it'll go to one side and it'll say, Ruth and Rahab, yeah. They get special mention in the genealogy of Je- Ruth gets special mention in the genealogy of Jesus because of what she did here. No advantage to her. No obvious blessing on her life was going to come from following this woman, except she knew this God was superior to my Moabite gods. This people have got something about them that my people don't have. I'm going to follow this spiritual mother. Because despite all her tragedy, Naomi is still in relationship with God. She's still speaking well of her God. She has a relation, she has an intact relationship with God despite her personal tragedy and disappointment. One of, one of the difficulties, one of the reasons that we don't get generational momentum is that it gets difficult for younger people to trust older people and older people to trust younger people. So what what happens over and over again is whatever inheritance has been received by like an older generation tends to fall to the ground if the younger generation can't establish a connection of trust to the older generation and the older generation can't establish a connection of trust to the younger generation. What, what this woman Ruth does is establish a connection of trust to a woman who doesn't seem to have much to offer the outcome is that she gets a lot more than she bargained for. She actually gets that inheritance and more. Do you see what I'm saying? 
it can be difficult for younger people to trust older people because older people can seem like they know it all. Or can seem like they don't know how to use an iPhone properly. Or wouldn't know one end of a tweet from another. Or their ideas can be a bit older and a bit out of date and a bit unlike, we're the up and coming things. We're going to change the world our way. Every generation that does that simply ends up doing it the old way. That's just arrogant and foolish. And the trouble with older people is they can get a bit distrusting. So this is a two-way street here. And I've seen this done really badly. So... Maybe there's no time this week, but maybe another week I'll talk about how this could be done badly. But I want to talk about this. This is makes this makes the kingdom work for generation to generation. The vision God's implanting in us is for decades. Some of it could be beyond my actual lifetime, but it shouldn't just fall to the ground. Some of what Teresa and I are carrying needs to go to the nations, but we can't do it all. We need people who are going to put their bags at our door and say, I'll do whatever you need to do. It doesn't look like it's going to help me in my vision, but I first of all want to help you in yours. I can't see, in fact, how this will help me do what I want to do at all. (laughs) But I know that I need to help you in yours. And guess what? People come into their destiny in the, acti- the examples I gave you earlier, Paul Mannering and, and, and Chris Vallot and, and so on and so on, and Ruth. She came into her destiny by backing an empty woman, but backing her with faith and backing her in covenant. So you can gain a lot more than that person appears to have. And for all of us, we need to have the ability to do calculations that are not based on personal benefit. But are based on on a heart to serve and a heart to do covenant well. Because that covenant is a Bible word for lifelong durable commitment, heart connection. And it it joins a generation together, but it can join generations together. What Ruth needed to know was not how much Naomi had, but what was her heart with what she, to do with what she did have. So one of the reasons there aren't many spiritual fathers is there aren't many people who in their heart are going to be really happy if you're better than them. There aren't many people that will keep believing in you even when you screw it up. And there aren't many people that will see what's in you even bigger than you see it. And I think one of the people that, one of the reasons that people get attracted to spiritual fathers when they find them is because what they see is no agenda. They say, this person is going to, believe in me. This person is going to trust me. This person is going to cheer me into my future. And you see that with Naomi. She doesn't have anything, 
But as the story progresses, she's advising, she's stirring, she's promoting Ruth into a place of powerfulness and into a place of gaining her inheritance and celebrating this thing. That's the nature of spiritual moms and dads. They want you to absolutely flourish, but it can't happen until you've helped them. Otherwise, what you have is an economy that actually is going gonna, is gonna to die out because the, all, the, all the energy is going to go out of the spiritual parents and not enough energy is going to be put into them. And if their vision dies, your vision will never happen. I'm serious. If the, if the current generation vision doesn't come to life, then the next generation has actually got to begin from the bottom again. Whereas the idea is, wow, we're, we're, we have a 200-year plan. We're actually 100 years into it. So let's give you that, and then you can get another 50 years down the track. If that doesn't happen, you have to start 100 years ago. Let's figure this all out again. You're looking kind of like, am I making sense? And it's this willingness to connect generation to generation. It's willingness to serve somebody else's vision at your own apparent cost. Brings you into the fullness of who you are. This, this has taken me 30 years to say. I'm going to say it. Follow me as I follow Christ. We can't say that. Well, I can say it because it's in the Bible. I have never wanted to say it because something inside me thinks people will really misunderstand it if I say it. What I'm relieved to tell you is it says follow me as I follow Christ, that's what Paul said. It doesn't say, follow me as I am perfect. The qualification to be followed is that you're following. That I am in hot pursuit of him. I'm going after his purpose. Actually, what would disqualify me is if I cease to pursue. So it's, it's the momentum of my life which qualifies me to have followers. And this is true for you as well. It's not that you're perfect, it's that you're moving towards Him. Fathers are looking to be followed, they're looking to be imitated. Paul actually says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What a big head. He wrote 14 books of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have to get over ourselves here. And, and because things have been abused, we need to find a way of doing this beautifully because this is God's way. Come on. This, this covenantal generation-to-generation connection, this heart-to-heart connection, this following me as I follow Christ, you coming into your stuff because you're helping leaders come into theirs is actually the spiritual kingdom dynamic. Me pursuing exclusively my vision because I'm free to do it is actually a misunderstanding of what we've been trying to say. So we're not locking people in here. We're just trying to help us see how the kingdom of heaven works. What's a kingdom culture really like? Because it has to have connection and it has to have durability and it has to have the ability to pass on one 
lot of inheritance to another. And it has to be possible that for people like me and Teresa to walk around the planet and not die because of all the people going, oh, there's a spiritual mom and dad. Because actually, if no one's putting into our vision, we're going to run out of slurpy stuff. Yeah. Isn't it true? You, you, yeah. There's only so many things you can do, and we, we want to be that here. But there's, there's, a, there's a hugeness about what God is doing in the planet today and what he's called us to do as a people. Um, here, there you go, I said it. Um, Paul, I'll just close with this scripture. Paul, I mean, this is such, such an unpastoral word that Paul wrote to Timothy. Well, he wrote to the Philippian church, to all their leaders, right, that he knew and he helped this, start this church. And he writes this, and I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That sounds okay, doesn't it? So that you, I too may be cheered by news of you. For I, I, listen, I have no one like him. Now that, that sounds okay so far. Think of all the people that Paul worked with, etc. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Hmm. They all look after their own interests. Barnabas, you know, Silas, all these guys that hang out with Paul. They, you know, this is a public letter. They're like, sheesh, what about me? <laughs> it goes on to talk about how as a son with a father, he served me in the cause of the gospel. Lots of people are willing to pursue their own interests. Not many are willing just to pursue someone else's or just the Lord's. That's what he's saying. How about you?